0: Three great words. Free. Fries. Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase.
1: Bada ba 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 one-time on Fridays at participating McDonald's through 1231 24 Excludes tax. Must update rewards.
2: As a writer on conspiracy theories, I get lots of emails from people who want to alert me to government conspiracies, but I never engage them. I study these conspiracy theories. I don't want to be a part of them. Though I did have one particularly tenacious informant who for years wanted to explain to me how the U.S. government controls the weather. I never responded, but he kept sending me updates. After the terrible earthquake and tsunami in Southeast Asia in 2004, which killed hundreds of thousands of people, he sent me documents that alleged to prove that the U.S. government had triggered the tsunami in order to take out its economic competition. He often referred to a tsunami machine. I had grown accustomed to his updates until one day he fell silent for years. And then in 2011, there was another huge earthquake and tsunami, this time in Japan. Here at UC Davis, the campus public relations staff put out a press release about a local angle on the Japanese tsunami. It turns out that UC Davis houses an enormous centrifuge that helps scientists model and predict the course of tsunamis. You could call it a tsunami machine. My weather conspiracy correspondent sent me an email the day that press release was posted. Unfortunately, I didn't keep a copy of it. I had long since abandoned my wacko file. But though I didn't preserve his words, I remember his tone. He could not have been more pleased. The tsunami machine was real, it was at my university, and I had written a book that he believed made fun of conspiracy theories about tsunami machines. It all made sense. He had figured out the ultimate conspiracy, and I was a part of it. I'm Catherine Olmsted, and this is State of Conspiracy. Today, I go down the conspiracy rabbit hole with journalist, writer, and documentarian John Ronson and explore Ronson's past ties with Alex Jones, his time in Bohemian Grove, and some of the most absurd theories he's encountered. What attracted you to the study of conspiracy theories and conspiracy theorists?
3: Uh, well, I, it came about a little circuitously. I was tailing some uh, extremist leaders uh, in like the mid-90s. I spent a year tailing in a, in a militant Islamist leader called Omar Bakri Mohammed. And then just after that, I spent some months tailing a... Uh, uh, a, a Ku Klux Klan leader uh, who was giving the Klan an image makeover. He he banned uh, the robes and the hoods and the cross burning. But anyway, so I I, I spent time with both of these leaders, and I realised they they had one thing in common, and that was they they both had a conspiratorial mindset. They both the Klan and the militant Islamists believed that there was a secret room. And inside the secret room, a shadowy cabal was secretly ruling the world. And this was the mid-90s when I don't think people really were thinking about the relationship between extremism and conspiracy theories. And so it it came as a bit of a sort of revelation that these two groups who really shouldn't have much in common have this one thing in common. So I was pondering this. And then I had a brainwave. Uh, I thought, why don't I... Um, hook up with conspiracy theorists and we'll go around the world trying to find the secret room and when we find it we'll somehow get in and confront them going about their covert wickedness so I thought I've no idea what, what what's going to happen but whatever happens will presumably be be interesting.
2: And so one of the results of that quest was that you sneaked into the Bohemian Grove with Alex Jones. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Bohemian Grove is an invitation-only campground in the woods of Northern California, uh, where some of America's most powerful men go to relax, to socialize with one another, and to engage in secret rituals.
3: Yes. Uh, Alex was unknown then. Uh, He was known in militia circles and in kind of Austin hipster circles, (laughs) but nowhere else. But we met him. We met Alex. Um, He was rebuilding David Koresh's church in Waco with listener donations from his kind of shortwave radio show Infowars. Even though he was 26 years old and completely unknown, the various kind of militia leaders who were there were all sort of skittish around him like, like he was a, a big star to them so I became interested and, and it was kind of obvious just what a star in the making he was so yeah, when, when I decided it would be a, an idea to try and sneak into Bohemian Grove I asked Alex if he wanted to come with me I guess because for a few reasons. Firstly, I'm not a fearless person and the idea of sneaking through a forest trying to enter the secret enclave of the shadowy cabal that secretly rules the world uh, sounded quite frightening to me. But I also had a more practical reason for inviting Alex, which was that uh, if nothing happened, if we didn't get in, we'd have no story. It would just be me failing to get into Bohemian Grove. But if I failed to get into Bohemian Grove with Alex Jones, at least I'd have someone to bounce off and it could become a story. Worry partly about him and his mindset, so that's that's why I invited him, and, and he said, "Yeah." He immediately said, "Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll I'll sneak a camera in there, and we'll go up to those satanic globalist leaders, and we'll get the camera right in their face, and I'll confront them about their satanic evil." And I said, um, "I think stealth might be a better approach," <laughs> and, and I said, "Okay, <laughs> stealth." <laughs>
2: So who did you find more bizarre, Alex Jones or the world leaders who were conducting these mock human sacrifices in front of a... An owl. Giant owl.
3: Um I, you know, there was a moment when I was watching when I was watching the ceremony, the cremation of care, and all these preppy men of wealth and power, all of whom looked like Mr. Burns and the Simpsons, um, you know, were so into it. And and there was Alex Jones behind me convinced, you know, with this sort of camera hidden in his duffel bag. Uh, convinced that he was watching evidence that the global elite uh, worship Moloch, the owl god. And I did think to myself, I'm the only person in this redwood forest who's not a <laughs> nut. <laughs> so they were—they like, struck me as equally odd and um, not how I would spend my summer vacation. So
2: that, that was almost 20 years ago that you broke into the Bohemian Grove with Alex Jones. Uh, it seems that your views on him have evolved over time.
3: Well, Alex was different back then. You know, some people have got a little bit annoyed with me over the years for not giving Alex a harder time in that story. But I always thought that's a kind of postmodernist look at our relationship because at the time, Alex was a anti-globalist activist. You know, his, his shtick was all about the New World Order and the... You know, Waco and Ruby Ridge and, you know, there was no Islamophobia. I don't don't remember any racism. And he had no power. And he wasn't hounding the parents of children killed in school shootings. So he got worse. I remember actually when I was at Waco with Alex Jones, um, this militia leader gave a speech and he said, you know, we're all here because of Alex Jones. Uh, He's 26 years old. By the time he's 36, he'll be the next president of the United States. And everyone, like, applauded. And I thought, well, things would have to go very wrong <laughs> for that to happen. And look at us now. He's, like, what, fourth in line to the throne, pretty much. Um, so, so, yeah, he, he, got, um, he got more malevolent um, and he got more powerful. And, you know, when I first realised that Trump was a Alex fan... It, it was stunning to me. I, I I couldn't believe it that that someone like Alex, with his um, untruths, uh, would ever influence a president. Right. It is it is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, and I knew right from the beginning that Alex was somebody who didn't tell the truth. There was there was this moment, um, the night at Bohemian Grove. I, I, we were all we all left, and we were back at the hotel. And Alex was saying, um, I overheard these two men say, uh, like I was walking along the the alley, or walking along the path at Bohemian Grove, and I saw these two old men, and I overheard one of them say to the other, yeah, we're going to get him elected. (laughs) And I said, said, Alex, that's that's, um, the kind of thing that you will have wanted to have overheard two people say it (laughs) maybe me in Grove. It was just too neat. And Alex said, this is 20 years ago, and I've said this once or twice to people, and I hope it's true because, you know, one's memory plays tricks on one. But my memory is Alex saying, look, I know that's not true, but I'm not going to tell my listeners that. And in a way you helped him get famous. Well, (laughs) I like to think of... uh, our infiltration as of Bohemian Grove is like revolver, and uh, 9/11 was his Sergeant Pepper's. I think he was on the way to getting famous <laughs> anyway, um, because 9/11, of course, you know, he became after 9/11 he became America's biggest 9/11 truther, and that's that's really what I mean. You know, I used to joke that I was like Alex Jones's Simon Cowell, but I don't joke about that quite as readily anymore. Now that everything's so much more frightening, um, so uh, now what I think is, is yeah, that that story of us infiltrating Bohemian Grove was a big story for both of us. It kind of put both of us on the map to an extent. And when I bumped into Alex Jones at the Republican Convention in 2016, when I say bumped into him, what I meant what I mean was spent days desperately looking for him until I finally found him. Um, he said, "You know, we're into, you know you and me, we're, our lives are intertwined because of that story. Um, so, to an extent, I, I yeah, it's it's true that story was a kind of big story for both of us. But I, but I think Alex would have become just as famous as he is now if none of that had ever happened because it was nine eleven that, that that did it."
0: Crooked Minis is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions plus chat and text with your therapist. BetterHelp's licensed professional counselors are specialized in. Are you ready for this, Tommy? Mm -hmm. Depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, sleeping, trauma, and self-esteem. Anything you share is confidential. If you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you you can request a new one at any time. No additional charge. This is not a crisis line. BetterHelp has 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states with four communication modes, text, chat, phone, and video. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. That's great. Get right to it. Yeah. Financial aid is available for those who qualify. And best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Crooked Minis listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code Minis. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash minis. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love.
1: That's betterhelp.com slash minis. Crooked Minis is brought to you by Third Love. Third Love uses data points generated by millions of women who have taken their Fit Finder quiz to design bras with breast size and shape in mind. For a perfect fit and premium feel. Obviously, That's so funny, Tommy. I'm, this was an obvious read for me that I'm seeing for the first time. <laughs> Third, Third Love offers more than 80 sizes, including their signature half-cup sizes. Skip the trip. Find your fit with Third Love's online Fit Finder order and try on at home. No more awkward fitting room experiences. We've all been there. We've all uh, yeah. Answer a few simple questions to find your perfect fit in 60 seconds with their Fit Finder quiz. Over 14 million women have taken the quiz to date. It's actually... A blast. And take less than a minute to complete. Did you know, John, breast shape matters when finding a good fit? Third love. I did not know that. Third Love helps you identify your breast size and shape and find styles to fit your body. Every customer has 60 days to wear it, wash it, put it to the test, and if you don't love it, return it. And Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. That's nice. Third Love's team of expert fit stylists are dedicated to helping you find your perfect fit. Fit stylists are available Every day to help via text, chat, or phone. Hands down, this is the most comfortable bra you'll ever Hands own. Hands down. I guarantee it. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash minis now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash minis for 15% off today. Crooked Minis is brought to you by Kariuma.
0: As the weather gets colder, I'm guessing if we could, we'd probably Netflix and chill all day.
1: Do they know, oh, do they think they know no. what that means? It's sort of a term of art. But <sighs> anyway,
0: good news is you can still stay cozy while you're on the go. Memory foam isn't just for pillows anymore, it's in your shoes now, too. Oh, meet Kariuma sneakers. They're crazy comfy. Kariuma's high and low-top styles come with a hybrid memory foam insole that gives it that perfect broken-in fit, huh. making them easy to wear from your 8 a.m. all-hands meeting <laughs> Yeah, right, like we'd have a fucking 8 a.m. all-hands meeting <laughs> here to cocktail hour and beyond. But just because their insoles may sound geriatric, don't get it confused. They're ridicul- Don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. They're ridiculously good-looking, too. These don't look like Crocs. They're no, cool. No, we are not selling <laughs> Crocs, for God's sakes. <laughs> Plus, these Karyama Old School Sneakers are made with New School Ethics. Oh, okay. Oh, well, there's a turn here. This Brazilian sneaker brand handcrafts each pair in ethical factories that use only natural materials. Fair trade cotton, leather, or suede. Oh, and Karayama also purchases carbon offsets to get their transit footprint down to zero.
1: Woo! Take that, Green New Deal.
0: Yeah. <laughs> For limited time, Crooked Minis listeners can get an exclusive 15% off your first pair of Karayuma sneakers. Go to com slash Minis to get 15% off. That's com slash Minis for
1: 15% off today. Crooked Minis is brought to you by Credo Mobile. Do you stand for women's rights and for the environment? Yes. There's a phone company that stands with you, John. Excellent. Credo Mobile. Credo is the only phone company in America that supports the same cause as you do. It causes fighting... Causes like fighting to stop climate change, protecting reproductive freedom, and standing for immigrant rights. In fact, Credo donates $150,000 every month. Every month. To groups like Rainforest Action Network, Planned Parenthood, the ACLU, and many more. Credo is just as opposed as you are to Donald Trump's agenda. I mean, how do you know that? And those other phone companies, they're cozying up to Trump, spending millions to push through mega mergers and funding right-wing politicians. You make choices every day about where you spend your money. Shouldn't your mobile phone be one of those choices? Switch to Credo Mobile right now and you'll get a year of Ben and Jerry's ice cream <laughs> on us. Wow. A pint a month for 12 months. You can get you can get the, our special flavor this month, impeachment. <laughs> yes. That's a you'll, Dan Pfeiffer joke. <laughs> oh, God. You'll also get coverage on... The, I thought you were serious. You'll also get coverage on the nation's best and most awarded 4G LTE net- Work along with the low rates and complete selection of smartphones, including the latest models from the top brands. Ready to switch? Just enter the offer code MINI at checkout or go to Credo.com/slash MINI. That's C-R-E-D-O.com/slash MINI.
0: Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Mick Crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
2: So do your interview subjects ever accuse you of being part of the conspiracy?
3: Yeah, actually, I did an episode of This American Life quite recently, again, about Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep returning to Alex Jones as a subject, and I did this story about his childhood. One of one of Alex's uh, staff members became like a whistleblower to me, and he told me the story from Alex Jones's childhood, which I then did a The Smoke and Life episode about. And I noticed that a couple of days later, Alex was in in a chicken restaurant in Austin. And somebody was filming him and Alex was like having a rant. People were saying, you know, get out of here, Alex Jones, you're not welcome. And Alex Jones was like kind of yelling back. And as part of his yelling, he was like, you know, you globalist, you know, evil, fake news, New York Times, NPR. <laughs> and it was clear that he'd introduced NPR into his into his like rant because of my This American Life episode. So uh, I think Alex now thinks that both NPR and I are, in a way, part of the New World Order.
2: Do you think that real government conspiracies inspire conspiracy theories about the government?
3: To an extent, yeah. I, I always, Most people, when they're asked, you know, why are there conspiracy theories, they always say, oh, you know, the world's a complicated place, and if you're a bit simple-minded... Uh, you know, they give a sort of condescending response. If you're a bit simple-minded, then you're going to try and find patterns where there aren't patterns, and it's more comforting to be a conspiracy theorist than to face the truth, which is that nobody controls anything and the world is this rudderless ship. And I think all of that's true, but I think it's kind of condescending to leave out another thing, which is that sometimes the government behaves in conspiratorial ways. So when people uh, feel shut out... Of power by an, an elite that seems to be behaving in a conspiratorial way, you're more likely to become a conspiracy theorist. But I'd be interested to know what what, what you think about what I just said.
2: Well, I agree with you. I right. know that you have written about the CIA's MK Ultra, which is mm-hmm. the ultimate crazy government program that turns out to be true.
3: It's real. And it's crazier than the idea that the global elite all meet in a Redwood Forest in Northern California and worship a giant owl. Right. Um, well, it's kind of on a level with that, but <laughs> it's true. But yeah, the MK Ultra is really real. They they really were setting up brothels in New York and then uh, spiking the drinks of the Johns with LSD, and then CIA men were sitting behind a mirror watching how the John would behave and and sketching his movements. And that's just one of the many you know, ridiculous things that they did in MK Ultra.
2: Well, one of uh, my favorite stories about conspiracy theories is your radio report on 7-7 conspiracy theorists in England who believe that the there was this conspiracy involving the attacks on the London transportation system on J- July 7th, 2005. I'm wondering if you see similarities between British conspiracy theories and American conspiracy theories.
3: No, I think the seven seven conspiracy theories fit the American pattern, the sort of post nine eleven American pattern. When I say post nine eleven, I noticed a real change in tone after nine eleven. Really? Yes, everything got much meaner hmm. and and darker. The, I'm, I'm talking about the conspiracy theorists. Right. Like they they were so convinced that nine um, eleven was an inside job, it was like the gloves were off and you know they would start to dox people and you know harass people and i don't remember i don't remember seeing any of that happening before 9/11 it just all felt slightly better natured before 9/11 and the 771 was horrible uh, there was this woman called Rachel North uh, who was on the one of the trains that, that got blown up and became a sort of unofficial spokesperson for the survivors and one day she was online and sort of I guess googling herself and she discovered that there was a bunch of people who were debating or had decided that she didn't exist and she was a team of MI5 men who were spreading disinformation about the about the bombing. Uh, So Rachel emailed them to say you know I, I, I do exist and it's not nice to be told that you don't exist, especially after you've just been blown up on the tube. Um and everything she said made them more convinced that she didn't exist. And so and it was driving her her crazy. I mean she was she couldn't let it go. And uh so eventually she went to one of their meetings and said, Look, you know, I exist. <laughs> and, uh, and they were just screaming at her. There was just fury. She, there was nothing that she could do to get them to think of her as a human being.
2: Well, let me ask you: Do you think that it's this change in tone that you've noticed? Is it because of nine eleven, or is it because of the internet?
3: I guess probably a combination of the two, because the because the internet was you know becoming a much bigger thing around around then. So I, I, I guess it's a combination of the two. You know, then came out just before 9-11. Uh-huh. I always felt quite pleased that I wrote the book before 9-11 because it was because the book has a sort of nice humanist comic uh, touch. It's, it's you know, uh, and um, after 9-11 and the way that the conspiracy theorists changed, I think it would have been much harder for me to have written a book that, that's humanist and and funny in places because they just all got so much meaner.
2: (laughs) Well, that's an interesting point, because I think throughout your writing, despite the unpleasantness or the apparent unpleasantness of of many of the people you interview, you're very generous with them. And it seems that you always try and portray them as human beings with with real concerns who deserve our sympathy,
3: I don't think I'm trying to portray them in a sympathetic light, but I think I am definitely I think everything else that you said is true uh that I just try and portray them as as humans. Is it hard? It's sometimes hard if they're narcissists or psychopaths it's It's less fashionable nowadays to portray people with ababo beliefs as complicated humans, but I still feel that it's the right thing for me to do. You know, that's my contribution.
2: Well, I think it is a contribution because it's helpful to Mm -hmm. understand where these beliefs come from rather than simply saying it's hatred.
3: Yeah. These people are monsters. Let's not listen. Um, I mean, that's the way I've, I've just always naturally felt you know I, I, I always just naturally it's not a political position I mean politically I, I'm diametrically opposed to them but just as a sort of human I, that's just the way I see people you know when I walk into a room my instinct is to try and find common ground and to find likability um, and, I, and I should say that I never like I don't feel I mean I, I personally I don't feel like I've ever got the balance wrong I, I think I'm quite good at uh, portraying them as humans, but that never sort of makes it seem like their terrible beliefs are OK. I think I get the balance right.
2: Right. So you're trying to avoid the dehumanization <laughs> that your your interview subjects uh, indulge in themselves.
3: But at the same time, um, remember the harm that they do.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm interested in the way you, that you've described your views evolving since you wrote them. In a way, the conspiracy theories seem much more dangerous.
3: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Not least, you know, because Trump is the kind of person you would have seen in the in the back row of a David Icke talk or an Alex Jones talk. And also, I think, because their methods have gotten worse.
2: Their message and their methods.
3: And the weight of it, the power of it.
2: Are you surprised? Did, I mean, you, you started writing about this 20 years ago. Did you think at the time this is this is going to be an important theme in the 21st
3: century? I never thought for a second that Alex Jones would ever have the ear of, of a president. You know, I, I was at the gym and uh, Trump was you know, giving a campaign speech. And just as I put my headphones in, somebody said, are you going back on the Alex Jones show? And Trump said, Alex Jones, nice guy. And I, I practically fell off the elliptical I, of, of all the people I'd, I'd interviewed. You know, why did it have to be Alex Jones who would inspire a president? You know, why couldn't there have been somebody smarter? Um, so, yeah, it came as a total shock. Yeah, I think the thing that I... With that story, with that book... The thing that I discovered was there's a real connection between extremism and conspiratorial belief. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, when you know, obviously, when Timothy McVeigh came along, and, and suddenly, suddenly, you saw it everywhere. You saw it in the Oklahoma City bombing. You, you saw it in the beliefs of Randy Weaver. You, you saw it everywhere. So that that felt like my contribution. I never thought that Alex would would attain power.
2: What are some of the most bizarre? Uh, conspiracy theories that you've ever encountered?
3: Uh, I really, well, I loved, I spent a lot of time with David Icke, who believes that the ruling elite are giant reptiles that have adopted human form, like giant lizards, and that, you know, they're wearing like human masks. But, and in fact, David Icke was the first person I... I said, do you want to come to Bohemian Grove with me? I want to sneak into Bohemian Grove. Do you want to come? And David Ack said, no, that's where they transform themselves back into giant lizards. (laughs) Uh, Don't go near that place. People disappear in those forests, he said to me.
2: Well, I mean you've noticed this turn to the to the darkness, to meanness in mm. conspiracy theories since nine eleven. And I would argue, you know, again we have another watershed when Trump becomes president. Are we gonna find our way out of this or is it just gonna keep getting worse?
3: The meanness of conspiracy theories in the post Trump world, you know, kind of echoes the meanness of the discourse. In general, you would think that things have to get better because nobody wants to live in this terrible world that we're living in. Um, But it's just taking a hell of a long time to, to change.
2: I personally thought things were going to get better after the end of the um, George W. Bush administration.
3: I sort of dropped the ball um, thinking about conspiracy theories during during the Obama years. I just wasn't really thinking about it. So what, and, and I only really noticed the resurgence when, when Trump stood and was talking about Alex Jones and so on. So there's actually, so those years, the Obama years, I don't really know that much about what was happening with conspiratorial belief? So, so what was happening?
2: There was a resurgence of conspiracy thinking, but it was on the right, and mm. it mainly had to do with yes. having a black president, and there were a lot of people who found that intolerable. So, the birther right. conspiracy theories were so the uh, very widespread and and increasingly
3: dangerous. It's funny, I was living in Britain for most of the Obama years and and I just wasn't really concentrating. I was, you know, writing books about psychopaths and so on, so I wasn't really concentrating on that. Uh, Did it feel widespread or or did it still feel like this was like, you know, small pockets of, you know, terrible people?
2: Well, I think if you were a liberal or, you know, if you live in California and many parts of the country, it it seemed uh, like it was inconsequential. But if you looked at the polls, there were majorities of Republicans who believed he was not eligible to be president, who believed that he had faked his birth certificate.
3: Yeah. And the fact that we on the coasts or me in London, weren't really thinking about it, I guess, is part of the problem.
2: Right. And so then the question mm. becomes, like, how do you combat it? I, as you know, Alex Jones has been banned from a lot of social media platforms. Do you mm. think that's the right thing to do?
3: Yeah. With Alex, I, I do. He harms people. And also, obviously, I'm, I'm the millionth person to have said this, but it's you know it doesn't feel like a First Amendment issue because um, he was putting his stuff... On platforms that are owned by companies, and companies have the right to deplatform people if they want to. Right,
2: the First Amendment says government shall make no law. It doesn't say that companies can't. On the last episode of State of Conspiracy, I delve into one of today's most pervasive and convoluted conspiracy theories, QAnon. State of Conspiracy is produced by Caroline Reston and Elisa Gutierrez. Our engineers this week were Kyle Seglin, Noel Fernandez, and Genevieve Bowman. Our editor is Daniel Carissimi.